Hello and welcome to episode 39 of A View From The Dugout with myself, Chris, from Surrey on the Budgets. And I'm joined tonight by my co-host, a man whose favourite Paul Johnson song is Get Get Down. It's Russ from Scotland Surreyor. Russ, how are you feeling tonight? It's the end of the world <laughs> as we know it. Oh, so that's a that's a hell of a tune you just pulled out there, Russ. Um, I'm I'm surprised you held the tune so well. Well, uh, to be fair, I gave it a good uh, a good attempt, and uh, you could actually possibly add on that I'm uh, losing certainly losing beliefs, and you could say I'm losing my religion. Losing your religion, indeed. Um, not my favourite REM song. Um, probably everyone hurts. You know, it's a proper depressing song, but. I mean, in your in your current state of uh, of of mind with uh, your current football team, um, perhaps it'd be an upbeat, jovial song if you listen to it. Now. <laughs> so who knows? Who knows? At least we've got the comedy show that is Mark Birigiti, but we'll come to that later on in the episode, Russ. So, without further ado, um, just a quick uh, apology as such. Um, Recording schedule's obviously been a little bit hectic recently. I did put up a post on Twitter saying um, the reasons why. Basically, my uh, daughter is going through a bit of a sleep regression at the moment, and it's been an absolute nightmare. So myself and my partner are having to take turns. Um, I'm trying to get her to sleep, and that has been, you know, quite problematic. Um, We did try to record, and just it just wasn't possible. Um, So... When we've tried to reconvene, Russ has been busy, then I've been busy, and it's just not it's just not matched up, Russ, has it? So um we're obviously getting on tonight. Um I go away to Spain next week, so we'll hopefully get an early uh recording um before I go. But there's no guarantees of that. We will keep you posted on Twitter. So follow the Twitter account at AFT AF AVFTD pod. Jeez, oh, it's been a long day. Um, or you can get me Surreal on the budget, or you can get Russ Scotland Surreal. We'll keep you up to date on that, Russ. So I just thought it was important just to get that out of the way um, and let the uh, the the faithful know um, that we are still we are still alive. Indeed, indeed we are, indeed we are, and there's been lots going on, hasn't there? There has been. I mean, between overtimes and like you say holidays and babies and you know hopeful hopeful house moves things like that it's been a it's been an eventful an eventful little period of time so speaking of eventful times russ um for last week's podcast i got a, a dm asking if we could discuss the the price crash and um, that's been kind of going on recently with surreal um i think it's obviously been widely seen. I had kind of dodged a lot of it because I've obviously been buying in and out at the low level with the rares and things like that. But even I've not been exempt to that. And um, there's been a lot of reasons for it, Russ. But um, how is your uh, how's your account looking in terms of the the price crash situation? Um, well, in relation to the actual value of it, um, I've no idea. Um, I don't I don't value my gallery ever by sort of data, as you know. Um, mm-hmm. but, I basically value it on to have good cards. Do I feel that the cards I've got are helpful and give me an opportunity to try and win prizes? So I know that there are lots of people out there in the community that will, you know, they'll log into their data, they'll look and see if their gallery's gone up, gone down, what, you know, what the price of ETH is, etc. I pretty much basically look, and I've always said this since day one, I'm interested in what it's valued in, in pounds. Yeah. Um, but also, I've been here long enough now to see the market go up and down so many times. And there are so many factors within the game that, you know, the game of football in general that can affect your cards, your gallery prices. Teams doing well, teams not doing well, players doing well, players not doing so well, relegations, promotions. There's there's millions of things, but not millions, but maybe slight exaggeration there. There's a lot. There's a lot of things. Um that can affect galleries. So what I've tried to do, I've seen probably what you've been seeing on mostly on Twitter. Um just meltdowns, sell ups, um trade wars, trade traders at war, um yeah. lots of things. So yeah. <laughs> where do we start? Well let's let's look at, you know, where it kind of well I'll start with if you go back to December um, ETH was sitting roughly about a grand uh, for one ETH, give or take, because yeah. it was, it was, you know, you're able to judge it quite quickly, but it's gone up 40% since then. So if you were to look at the ETH value of your team, 
as we as we know and we've preached on for 39 episodes now that pounds and pennies is what pays the bills and it's it's pounds and pennies that you put in it's pounds and pennies you'll take out so that has gone up 40 percent. so if you're purely looking at your ETH value look at the pound value it will have fluctuated a bit because as we say on the whole prices have come down but it's nowhere near as drastic as some people are are, are looking at i don't think um but it is it is certainly there a lot of the newer guys, Russ, um, won't really understand maybe when we say, you know, that pounds and pence is what it's, you know, what we value it and, and the reasons for it. Um, obviously, we'll have discussed it in early episodes, but just to kind of recap, guys, the reason we look at it that way is because we've obviously we've both been on the platform for two years now um, and we have you know, we've had ups, we've had downs, we've had ETH as high as three grand, we've had it as low as 800 pounds. Eventually, the pound value or the euro or dollar, you know, the actual cash money value of those cards eventually levels out. So taking out every other factor, it will eventually, you know, level out with those ones. So that's why we say that. There's obviously a lot of guys who have just come onto the platform, especially since the World Cup, who've maybe not experienced a 40% increase in ETH. So, you know, if you were suddenly looking at a card that you bought for 001 and now it's worth 0. 0.006, it's going to be worth the same pound value, roughly. So as we things like that to take into consideration, uh, first and foremost, obviously the, the one that was the big one that I think even we maybe thought, obviously the Premier League uh, release um, was would have a knock-on effect to the, the prices on the market um, in terms of more players in the market. It'll, you know, hopefully... What's the saying, Russ? Uh, high tides rise all ships. So it's it's not really happened that way um, as we'd maybe maybe have hoped, certainly early doors, because a lot of guys would have been basically looking to liquidate their gallery in a time where there's not an awful lot of liquidity about, um, you know, from, from off-platform reasons, like, you know, your heating bill's costing a fortune, so people are reluctant to put any more money into something just now. Um, that kind of thing. But if you're wanting to get quick money to go and buy your players, what are you going to do? You're going to sell your existing players for a lot less. And then it becomes a race to the bottom for a lot of players. So cards that were worth, you know, 25 quid on a good day are now selling for 15 because guys are trying to undercut and undercut and undercut. And it devalues your own gallery by doing so just so they can go and buy you know, I, I can't even really use a, a, a big name example because you're probably not selling those players to go and buy Rashford, for example, but you, you are selling those cards to maybe go and buy a John McGinn or to go and buy a whoever else. And it's it has devalued a lot of people's galleries. I've seen it regularly. It's, you know, I, I'd made mention of it and I, I took advantage of it to go and buy some cards, Russ. And I think I was sitting with a balance when the Premier League came out and I didn't buy any Premier League players. I went and bought the cards that were sitting out there on the market. Um, so there's that factor. I think that's obviously, that plays a big part in it. Um, and if I was to look at the, the other reason maybe would probably be the dissatisfaction from the new competitions. Um, we'd probably be one to say, you know, not as many people achieving ETH. Um, we'll obviously come to the competitions in a little bit, but there's less people achieving thresholds, uh, to get you know, liquidity into the market, which is just stifling it even more, which is why, as you just mentioned, you're seeing trade wars from different traders, um, you know, um, doing different deals and different offers and changing the rules more often than they change their socks and pants. But it's it's what people are, it's what people are doing because they're not getting the quick sales that they were getting before. So that's my take on it in terms of where why there's, you know, the, the, un, the underlying reasons as to what's, underpinning it is there anything else you can think of or is there any of those that stand out to you Russ? I think you've basically covered most of it there um, like you say the, the main thing is that what feels not, not quite a desperation that's probably not quite the right phrase but there's certainly an eagerness to get and it's probably from a lot of the guys that did come on at the World Cup to get those household names that they know of not realising fully that for example you know you're Steph Peters or your Sven Mijnans or Milan Van Eeuwijk cards basically score out will outscore the majority of 
these much more expensive cards. Um, but I do totally get the fact that there are thousands and thousands of users that have been waiting to get their team in their gallery in the same way that we put Dundee and Dundee United cards in our gallery when Scotland launched. Yeah. Um, we've seen it probably, I think we've seen the cycle, I want to say maybe three, four times now, M- maybe maybe slightly more actually, given as I say, we're, you know, I'm just looking here in my unofficial anniversary is 23rd of December 2020, but as I say, it was just the start of 2021 that I came on the platform, but it's still certainly two years in full now. Um, I'm looking and thinking to myself, right, first and foremost, for the guys that I speak to and that I communicate with on a regular sort of daily, by daily basis, the guys I've known a long time that I've kind of helped bring into the platform, etc. not panic, first and foremost. We've seen it so many times. Yeah. We've seen the absolute drop-off there about three, four months ago of the MLS and the Asian cards. And guys were looking at their galleries going, yeah, but you told me to, get, to buy him and he was worth 60, 70 pounds and now he's worth 15. And now we're starting to see those cards, thankfully, start to rise in price again. They're not back to the prices um, that we expected, but that's simply like you say, there's the 40% rise in ETH, which... Again, there'll be so many people are just looking and going, I paid 0.1 for that. Why is it only worth 0.06 now? But it's ultimately worth pretty much the same amount in pounds. It only really matters, and we've said this so many times, it only really, really matters if you're not basically putting your money back into the gallery or you're basically looking to withdraw. And that's probably the key factors on the cards and that's your marketplace. The marketplace, personally for me, I'm finding really slow, um, certainly for on, the, on the rare cards. I'm, I'm not actively in the super rare and above marketplace. I've got a few cards up for sale, but I, I really am not competing at, at, at all at that point. But certainly I am in the rare. Um, I'm looking and finding the market really quite slow in the rares, unless I'm guessing if you do have Premier League cards or you're buying them during the night, maybe you are selling them. Yeah. Limited, I'm still seeing an element of uh, liquidity, but it does all boil down to the changes in the prizes, the changes in the threshold, whether good or bad. I think I openly said um, on the last podcast that I really like the new competitions. And, I, and I'm going to stick by that to say that I, I actually do. I like the variety of what I can enter. But I do feel that the prizes right across the board are too light. And I'm just feeling right now, I totally get the negative sentiment and I totally get the deflation um, in relation to the, the sort of the, the feeling around the platform, um, because ultimately these guys that were previously getting point zero two was it was it point zero two that you used to get for the two hundred five point zero one five something like that. It was tw- it was twenty five dollars. Twenty five dollars. So yeah. Worked out twenty five and fifty dollars. Yeah. So the guys that were getting the lower threshold and things like that beforehand, I totally get it because that was probably their their only revenue stream. Yeah, if you were probably just collecting that and not getting the bigger, then the chances are you weren't in and around the cards. Um, and getting in and around the cards was relatively hard enough beforehand, but now it seems even harder. So I'm looking at an account like mine with 76 rare cards and 50, 50-odd limited cards, of which the lion's share now, because of the challenge that I'm doing, are all first-team players. And I'm winning cards, but then in the main, it's it's tier three, which yeah. it's not propping up the gallery enough. Um, I think one of the key things, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but previously, any time I won ETH threshold, hand on heart, it was basically being reinvested in my squad. I wasn't withdrawing fifty dollars. You know, I would I would sometimes sell a big player or have a profit. You know, when I sold Carlos Solar and things many moons ago, I remember taking lots of money out of the platform and things. But on a week to week basis, I would think that the lion's share of the the guys that, uh, and girls that play this game basically reinvest that, and that money is currently missing. Yeah, and that's completely. I mean, we spoke about just beforehand. I think before you were looking at about sixty percent of the entries in All Star were getting some sort of a prize. Uh, now, obviously, we know that was costing Serer, you know, what was it, 300 grand plus in a, in a game week for just for thresholds and things like that. So, obviously, that wasn't sustainable and what have you. But 
it has left a big gaping hole in the in the you know the marketplace. Um and I don't really feel, if I'm being honest, that it's being made up in, in prize value, um, you know, with the cards that are being given out instead. So there is there is a big gap there. Um and Obviously, we spoke about it in the last one that we'd both hit the thresholds quite comfortably in the last couple of, you know, the first couple of ones. But then the last two, to be honest, I think I'd have missed the lower, even with the bonuses in the with the with the scores that I've had the last couple of weeks. But it has it has kind of brought things to a a grinding halt, and it's it's not particularly fun. Um, I have to say it that way. It, has, it hasn't been particularly fun from that aspect. Um, however. I am, I am, I am hopeful and expectant that it will balance itself back out. I, it's just I don't think it's going to be overnight. Um, your European cards, obviously, your European lads are starting to come towards, you know, the, got the final third of the season for a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and that's usually where you do start to see the price decline, um, because folk now start to look at. Champion America and Champion Asia to start building their teams so they've got something to look forward to over the summer. Um, and there is that, that might be part of it as well. You know, the seasonal aspect of it that, it's, that drives some of the prices down just at this point of the year. And um, because some of the Asia prices over the weekend were pretty decent. However, coming out of the game week, boys are selling up really quickly. It's It seems like um, we spoke about it, I don't know. When there was a big inf- there was a big influx of FIFA players um a few months ago, maybe six mm-hmm. months ago even maybe. Um, we, 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 yeah, we talked about it then because there was this kind of it got to the end of a game week, and if a player hadn't scored 60 or more, like people were just dumping them for 20% less as soon as the you know the games were done. And you're like, why would you deliberately devalue your players just to get a quick sale? I mean, I don't understand the, the you know the take a quick loss to move on to the next one that you're probably going to take a quick loss on again. So there is definitely that aspect of it because I've picked up a couple of boys today that um, are less than what I sold for on Sunday. <laughs> um, so there is there is certainly that aspect to it as well. But the long term, I think you've always got to make a decision for yourself, Russ. I made a post when things were crashing and it was maybe taken the wrong way. I'm just saying that one of the reasons I've always talked about having taken money out the platform is my level of comfort with the risk that I've got, you know, sitting in the platform. Um, I just always felt that if I, something went wrong and it disappeared, if I had still got my six or seven or eight grand, I think it's seven, I think it is, that I've taken out maybe eight, whatever it is that I've taken out the platform, I, and it went away, I would be crippled by losing that amount of money, which is why I've always tried to manage what I've got in the platform on that risk basis. And you do see a lot of people who've been selling up. And I think you've got to be comfortable with what you've got in the platform. Whilst it's not being classed as gambling, you still really have to consider the money you've put in here to be what you're comfortable comfortable with losing. I I think that's I think that's only fair to say. If if you're you should only really be playing with what you're comfortable with. And if you feel you're overexposed then maybe you do need to look at, right, okay, well, actually, I've still got two grand sitting in here. I'll maybe look at bringing out a grand where I could start to bring, you know, some money in from sales. I think people do need to look at, you know, their own comfort level with what they've got in and also realising that this isn't the cash pit people thought it was. Um, You know, it's not plug and play anymore. We've discussed that. You can't just have your five all-star players and bang them in every single week because you've got a cap, you're having to work within um, and you are having to look at fixtures, you're having to look at different things. So it's not a plug and play platform anymore like it was. So it's 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 a tough situation we're in just now. Um, I genuinely believe it'll come out the other side. I still believe that the capped formats aren't going to be what they'll be in a month's time. Um, I think we've already started to see some changes um, with them adding into ETH to the all-star competitions again, which we'll come to. But um, yeah, I... I, I I'm in for the long haul. Um, I'm comfortable with what I've got in the platform, having taken out what I've taken out. Um, and I'm going to keep trading. And that's what I'm kind of looking at doing, Russ, is carrying on business as usual and trying to find the bargains when people are banging things up for what I perceive to be 
silly prices. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm guessing you're, you know, I know the the feeling on the competitions, which we'll come to in a second, but on the kind of market side of things, long haul? Absolutely. I've been here a long time now. Um, we've both probably made a lot of content, contributed, saved people money, made people money, yep. tried to help people, got most things right, but got some things wrong. Um, my take on it, and I, I kind of always go back to this thought is, why do you place a rare? Okay, so obviously, I'm, I, I guess technically, I can just direct that question to you. You know, it's it's not preambled or anything like that, but why do you play Surair, Chris? It was basically to make money. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, that was originally through the thresholds, but it was through a lot of trading, and I've always considered myself more of a trader than a, you know, than, than an SO5 player as such, I guess. Yeah, so you're, play, you're, you're playing, in essence, what is a football game, but you are, you're playing it to make money, as most of us, or at least you're playing for what you perceive as a realistic chance to win money, to make money or to win money. And I think that's the same for the lion's share of people that play it. If you just want to play a football game, there's Fantasy Premier League and all that stuff that you you know that you can play or your own little um like like the fantasy football league that you know that I've had going for the best part of thirty years that's a little private one and it does it shares out money and has you know a smoker and nights out during the season and it's got its own Facebook page and all this sort of nonsense. But if it's just a football interest you're wanting, you do one of these things. If you're looking at it and you don't, for example, say someone like me, I you know I used to quite like um, football bets, bet three six five or whatever, and putting on coupons and both teams to score and all this kind of things, and trying basically just to look at statistical data to outsmart the bookie. But you know what? I became bored of that many many moons ago, and you know I, I was never a I was never a high stake. You know, so I'm not one of these guys that would go and put on three figures on on bets. I just I just never done it. I just wasn't comfortable doing it, um, and I didn't really chase the thrill at that kind of level. So. You've got that kind of group of people that are actively looking to win big, you know, all the time. And that's, again, not going to fit with Surayer. Surayer's, for me, is it's strategy, it's identification of players, um, teams doing well, teams not doing so well. And it's just trying to put all these kind of pieces together to, I suppose previously it was a, you know, I'm looking and thinking, right, you were basically just trying to get to that 205 and 250 line and you didn't really have to outsmart the game. You just had to hope for, like we've said a few times, plug and play, a couple of good players, good performances. Three guys get a 60. You're hoping even if you're, you know, you're playing with back then a common goalkeeper or a DNP, then one guy gets 26 points for coming on as a sub. And guess what? You've got over the line for the $25. You know, happy days. I had a return this week and I didn't spend any money or buy any new cards. Yeah. However, we're now in a scenario that to get that return in the cap 240 modes, regardless of whether you're playing yellow, red or blue, you're now having to basically maybe have, and I, I said this in the group chat today, my, my formula and my, my um, ratio is one playing keeper to seven rare players. That's my ratio. Um, I've been kind of operating on that. Probably I've never really mentioned it before, but I've probably been operating on that for about four or five months now, since last October, November. Now, I've been in a position, um, I've seen many guys, you know, and I've I've got friends that have lost goalkeepers and stuff. I've lost four goalkeepers. I've got 23 goalkeepers <laughs> right across my squad, across all scarcities. But I've also had, and that sounds great, but I've also had four goalkeepers that have lost a shirt that are currently sitting as number twos um, that if they had sold... The, the day before they lost their shirt, um, I could be sitting with almost 1.68, maybe 1.8. Yeah. So you've got to kind of adapt with that. But I've got a choice. I could either go and list them and cash them all in for 100 quid on the, basically on the value of the sub, the general sort of sub goalkeeper, or I could sit and have the faith that, for example, someone like Erwin Mulder, who's sitting on the bench all season in the Eredivisie this season, will get a number one shirt again. Because like everything else, unless your name's Scott Bain, Scott Carson or Stuart Taylor, 
most other goalkeepers generally will move to get first team football. Yeah. You're right. You're right. It's it's a tough one, eh? Um it's the goalkeeper side of ones as well. I mean, I'm actually looking at my goalkeeper, he's half in value just because of two really bad games. But it's it's a really tough situation, guys. I and to be honest. It's a case of riding it out as far as I'm concerned. I'm not going to try, I'm trying not to panic buy or, well, I'm not panic buy. Panic buy, I'm fine with. I've got play, I've got ETH sitting there to buy with. It's uh, panic selling is just not, not worth it. Um, and I think we will see it bear fruit eventually. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, we've probably depressed people enough, Ross, um, with, with the chat of, uh, the, the market crashing. One thing we haven't touched on, sorry, and we should have done was obviously the increased rates of auction that Serer have been producing. Yeah. Um, certainly, particularly obviously with the Premier League, but they did need to get the numbers out for the Premier League. We'll understand that. But yeah. you're also seeing they must have they must have an automated system where if, if there's four or five of a guy sell very quickly, all of a sudden there's four or five auctions for the same card. And it, it, it does it does crash down, you know, the markets on certain players. Um I can't think of any specific examples off the top of my head right at this moment, but I have seen it recently where there has been, you know, a, a, a few, you know, there, even at the weekend, there was one of the players that scored a, a hat-trick in Japan, um, you know, so had they had the ability to go and pump up all these Japanese players, I guarantee you the, the market would have been flooded with new card auctions for the J-League. Um, but, yeah, there's the, there is that aspect, and I think they have slowed it down somewhat, but I think they really need to look at whatever automated system it is that's generating all these extra auctions and when see three or four of a player getting sold. Um, so, yeah, that, that would be the other aspect of it. Is Sarir could definitely help the situation by slowing that down. Yeah, uh, just a final point before we maybe move on to uh, maybe the trader wars next. Um, just again on that, the, it's actually on the auctions thing. Surely if... I'm just looking here just now and I've just put the filter on and it's number 10, 12, 11. I know there's 16 of, of this lad. Um, but Premier League, obviously, I've got the filter on here just now. And I've got Davinson, Sanchez and Tewo uh, Abeniri, who's out for the season actually at Forest. Um, they're both ending in the next sort of half hour. Now, Sanchez is coming around about £34 right now. Now, um, you know, he will go a little bit higher than that. And the other lad's going, again, under the £100. But surely, if you slow the rate of the auctions for a little bit and let the game settle and let these some of these cards actually start to appear on the secondary market, then the desirability, surely, in two weeks' time when there's been no auctions... Because right now I'm looking going, when will I buy McGinn or when will I buy young Elliot Anderson? I'll just wait because, you know what, they're coming down every two days. Whereas no John McGinn's, you know, sitting with no John McGinn's, and I'm only wanting them because obviously the, the Scotland connection. But if I, you know, if I don't pick him up this time round, and then all of a sudden there's a two week delay, or you know, even a ten days before the next John McGinn comes out, the desire for me personally sitting there going, I should have got him last time. I'm going to get him this time. One, it'll increase the price for Sarir because the desirability. And two, it'll also have a, a boost on the secondary market because if someone happens to be selling a John McGinn there, then I've got a decision to make. Now, it might be, for example, that because of the lack of numbers of them, that you get a better price for it. So it's, it's just simple economics for me, for me anyway. Yeah, it's just supply and demand, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah I agree. Um, there is definitely that aspect there as well. So... Um, it's definitely worth having a look at on that one. Um, we'll briefly touch on uh, the trader wars, Russ. Obviously, there's been a few new traders appearing. Um, obviously, one that um, obviously springs to mind was uh, Rov Ruv, um, which, do you know what? It's hands up. It's excellent to have alternative options um, in terms of another trader um, to try and bring down. Because obviously, Pavel did go up as high as I think one forty. Uh, percent that he wanted for for trades, which is just insane. It's just yeah. it's greed and it's insanity. Um, but when you look at some of the other guys that have started up, you know, I think they've quickly realised they were getting dumped with everybody's garbage. That you know was the DNPs or somebody's been injured or that kind of thing. So 
quickly they've had to amend what they were doing to try and you know not get not become a bin for 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 garbage. Um, so yep, there's been a few of those that have appeared. Russ, um, has any kind of caught your attention or anything that you've seen that you thought good idea, bad idea? I've historically, as you know, um, used Pavel Trader many times, and I probably used them quite a bit sort of September, October last year, as I was obviously having to make the changes to my gallery, and then obviously used again kind of the, the very end of December. Um, I've, I would say I've sometimes had a good deal from Pavel, or what I would class as a, a deal actually almost in my favour, where I feel my knowledge um, or, up, or some sort of upcoming scenario outweighs the price of the cards that I've given in exchange. So sometimes I feel I've actually genuinely won in trades. Um, sometimes I feel that I have genuinely probably paid, you know, a premium of £20-£30 to get a card or maybe £20-£30 per card as a, as a premium. I'm happy to do that if it means that I'm getting what I want. Then latterly, like you say, um, just before the Premier League and the emergence of, I think there was a couple, but RUV is the one that sticks in my head, only because I've, I've seen quite a few people tweeting about it and things. However, like everything else, 40%, that's not sustainable. Um, that on, There's only one person that wins with that, even if you are getting guards. Um, I've seen lots of people, and I did look probably for maybe, I looked one night and just looked at Pavel Trader's um, account transactions on Surreal Data and I sat and I looked at it and some of the things absolutely horrified me. I'm like, you're giving away 1.3 ETH of cards and you're getting like 0. 0.06 in cash. And, you know, it's just, unless you've got, like, like you say, a pending pending Scottish Hydro bill or EDF bill, if you're maybe down south or whatever, you just look and you go, that that's absolutely insanity. You're, you know, that's that's just ridiculous. That's not even getting 50% for your cards. And anybody can go and look. You can go and look at the transaction history of anybody. You can look at mine. You can look at Chris's. You can look at Pavel's. You can look at your own. Um, it's all insider data where it basically that's the beauty of the platform is the transparency of it. And that's the, the, the beauty of all these third-party tools is that it basically feeds into the API of Surair, the, the system, and it feeds that data back so that we can all see it. Um that's obviously been a really, really big positive since day one of the platform. It is the transparency, but also you're looking and going, it's devaluing the market. So every time people are doing things like that and selling up and just taking 40, 50%, it means that basically what happens there is Pavel maybe has an intake of, I don't know, two, 300 cards in a day, and they're all up against the cards that maybe you're selling or I'm selling or Jimmy or Bobby's selling, you know? And all of a sudden, the price is basically, we've all been undercut. So what happens is, oh, right, Pavel's got one cheaper than us. So what do we do? Well, oh, I really need an IF because I'm chasing John McGinn. Yeah. So I go and lower it. And then he lowers it. And then it, all that happens, like we've said so many times, it becomes a race to the bottom. Everybody loses. He wins because he doesn't generally buy cards. I'm guessing the only transactions that he does is the big blue withdraw button in the top right-hand corner <laughs> of your screen. Yeah. Um, and fair play to him, because do you know what? He's done that since day one of being in the game. He is operating he is operating a trading business. I don't think he's desperately determined to win prizes and cards. Obviously, the sheer volume of cards lets him play everything, every single competition he will be able to play, even the unique ones. But he's never, you know, he's never until recently obviously been public um, with having the Twitter account. But he openly is a trader. He's there to make a profit. He has openly said in the Discord for the best part of a year now that he will buy your cards for X percentage, but he will also trade your cards if he feels it's profitable for him. So it doesn't matter whether he's trading Surair cards or fidget spinners. It really doesn't matter. At the end of the day, he's looking to make a profit, and that's his purpose within the game. And the downside, potentially from a sort of competitor perspective is that well I don't know how many cards he's got I'm just going to fire it up now but it, it's tens of thousands of cards that he holds so he's got a market dominance that I'm guessing 
I don't know who's got the second highest amount of cards, Chris. Do you um, within the game? Uh, not off the top of my head. Not off the top of my head. Not off the top of my head. Um, I'm just looking here, and Pavel has sixty thousand limited, twenty three thousand rares. Yeah, it is a case of the rich getting richer with some of these things, eh? But you know, I, I where possible, I'll try and sell my cards, um, and that way I can then keep the liquidity within other players. Um, but you know, it is one of those situations where we're all kind of we're all battling for that money just now, aren't we? So, if you do see some deals in there, then then great. I think what uh, Rov has done has been, uh, you know, of benefit to the to the platform. Um, he has obviously changed it several times, which I, I kind of made a point about, and I think he took offence to it, but wasn't meant that way. However, um, you know. I am, I'm always going to kind of try and speak my opinion as best possible. Um, and depending on the mood I'm in, it might not necessarily be in the, the finest of tones rush sometimes, um, but it's it's genuinely meant from a good place. Um, it was very hard to keep track because multiple times a day, we I, you know, we've, we had messages about it. You know, it's like yeah. the, lad, the lad's doing a good purpose. It is helping the market. You know, it's helping people shift players about and things like that. But what it's not doing is being very clear, you know, because you can look at one tweet, not see the other two or three tweets, and be under-offering and wasting your time and his because, mm -hmm. you know, the rules kept changing. So, um, but I understand where he's coming from because he doesn't want to be a dumping ground for everybody's garbage. Totally. Absolutely. Do you know right? what? I've, I've on many, many occasions run the scenario through my head. Do I stop chasing cards and just become a 120% trader? I've, I've thought about it many, many times. I've, I'm confident enough that I would be, be, I would be slightly different in the fact that I would be probably still buying off the open market for resale, which I'm not sure these guys really do. Um, I know the trade, but I don't know how much buying, um, say for instance, RUV or Rav Dove uh, does. Uh, I don't know about Roddy Boss, Katozi. I don't even know if they accept swaps now. The last couple of times I was quite unsuccessful with what I thought was a relatively fair swap. Um, I felt, you know, I think just as an example, I was looking at one of them and I was trying to get Fraser Hornby, who, you know, let's be honest, he's, he's not exactly going to be, you know, knocking down the Harry Kane out of the way for the Golden Boot or anything like that, you know, but decent enough striker, Scotland flag on him, but I knew that he was um, a bit of a, a sort of DNP monster, which was my, my reluctance to pay big money and I offered a, a, what I thought was a decent swap with probably about 60 or 70% in cash Um 60, yeah, 60, 70% in cash. And rather than just, you know, 30 or 40% in trade card, there was another 70%. You know, so it was probably about 140% deal. Didn't get it over the line. Um, basically was offering like a discount of three quid or something. I just, I was just honest. I was like, do you know what? Just forget it. Just forget it, mate. And do you know what? Since then, I've never looked near two of the guys again. And that's nothing personal. Everybody has the right to shop where they want, as do I. Um, but from the same token, I'd like to think myself, I'm not a mug, so I'm not a way to get, you know, not a way to get shafted on a deal and further devalue my gallery. Um, you know, do that two or three times, and all of a sudden, it's like your gallery is two players lighter fully, and <laughs> you're, wonder, you're wondering why your gallery value is going down. Well, stop sending 160, 170 percent of value for cards for guys because the rich are getting richer, and the guys that are struggling or trying to compete at a lower level are um, are getting weaker. Yeah, agreed, hundred percent agreed. Um, so yeah, that I mean, obviously, where possible, I, I've been trying to be very fair with trades where I'm sending it to people, but it's one of those things, Russ. So let's let's move on. I'm just conscious of the time. Let's move on to have a little look at how the capped modes um, have been playing out and how you know what things Serena have done to kind of adjust things somewhat. So obviously, we're kind of what three weeks in, four weeks in now to the, yeah. to the cap modes been running. Um, obviously, we we discussed it in the last episode uh, quite extensively. The amount getting paid out in thresholds has decreased significantly. Um, you know, even if you tally all of them together from all the different scarcities, it is definitely uh, much less, which obviously, as we've said, is having a knock-on effect to liquidity on the market. Um, taking the liquidity out, Russ, um, the cap 240 mode, obviously, where the thresholds are, um, I still obviously feel that there will be changes, whether that be the XP bonus or a captain bonus um, or both. I think that will still come to, uh, to fruition. Um, I, don't know. I, think, I think that's pretty pretty safe to say that something will get done in there. 
Um, but when it comes to the Cap 220 and the Cap 270s, across all the scarcities, I, I still think it's a, it's a big win. I still think it's a big win. It's mm-hmm. giving guys an opportunity to, if you're playing with uh, like 220, whether it be limited or rare, you're able to use that one player from a lower scarcity, which is allowing you to, you know, with with the draft ones, you know, maybe put in a really good player or to put in a goalkeeper. So you've not got that one big expense and you're able to spread the rest out across it. Still letting you buy teams for 20, 30 quid. And I have seen some decent results. Um, but I do think the 241 is where we're needing the tweaks, um, I, you know, with the thresholds. And I do think that'll come as, you know, as a, either it be a captain bonus or a percentage bonus, Russ. So I don't know. I, I'm guessing you're probably on the same bus on that one. Yeah, um, I would say we will see. I think it'll be. I think it'll be the captain bonus. I think they'll go with that first, rather than basically all five of your players having the opportunity. Um, we've still got the training mode, obviously, within the game. So, you know, you are looking, and there's certain competitions that the the percentages are still counting in. But yeah, for me, simple as that. The two forty. I think we will see a return to the captain, which. Even if it gets another 10 to 15% of players over the line, it's not going to cost them the earth. And those people will use that money probably within the market to buy players that me, you, and everybody else that's and everybody that's listening, that's listing players, can benefit from. So it'll only benefit their own ecosystem. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's a no-brainer. Um, and let's be honest, these, these guys have done... You know, Nicholas and the, the team and stuff, and this isn't to blow smoke up their arse because uh, um, it, it's of no it's of no relevance whatsoever to the both of us sitting here in, in dismal Dundee. But at the end of the day, they've done a damn good job in the main of taking the platform from obviously what was an idea to the game it is today. And they've rolled it out over multiple sports and they're known globally. And at the end of the day, you know, you look at it and you think, Three years, three, four years ago, I think it was four years, I think the, the game's been on the go. But you look at it and you think, four years ago, did those guys really think that they would probably sit with PK and Messi and, you know, uh, meet, you know, uh, the French uh, Macron and all these guys, people, you know, that that's possibly like an absolute pipe dream. But it's, it's all happened and the game's huge. It could be, and I'm guessing the, the, the ultimate aim is that the game will be genuinely global I don't really feel it is now it's a, a, at the moment we're, I think we've got quite a good sort of we've got quite a good base within the UK I think there seems to be quite a decent base um, in the Netherlands and in France and then some of the other countries that they've obviously Italy the, yeah Italy and, and Spain where the leagues were launched within the last sort of 12-14 months more officially um, those are obviously growing in emerging markets that do have an element of um, Asian and American players as well that play, but you do notice that the auctions are significantly lighter during the early hours of the morning when Europe's sleeping. So that tells that tells me certainly that there are less people looking at the auctions on a continual basis. There are some guys, I see one or two guys, that just snap up everything. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if it's going for like one bid on it or, or 20 bids on it. You do see guys that are still keen to get a, a bargain, but if they can make just a couple of small tweaks, I think it'll also basically, there's got to be a belief. You know, I'm looking and thinking, and I think I mentioned this just 10 minutes ago about why do we play it? Yeah, and we we, we don't necessarily play to win, but we play for the chance to win. And to, for the chance to win, you've got to realistically believe that you could actually win, otherwise you won't play, you know. So I look at it and think, right, okay, I've got good players. I've got quite a big gallery in my eyes. And I know it's only like 150 players all in across all scarcities, but that's still, in my eyes, quite a big gallery. And I look and think, do I have a chance to win? Yes, I do. And do I look and think, I put in, I think it was 13, 12 or 13 teams that could be competitive. And I filled in three or four teams simply um, for training purposes and to keep an eye on scores. But out of those teams that I put in, I genuinely believed when I was picking them and selecting them and trying to be tactical about putting strong teams together, etc., that those teams could win. And that's why I play the game. So if guys get more belief, especially the newer users, 
that haven't been round the block, that haven't seen the dips, that haven't seen the increases and the decreases when Europe finishes and Asia starts and haven't they're, they're not familiar with this. They just look and go, oh my God, I've just put money in here and it's totally sinking um, because they've not seen basically when it all climbs. But if those people believe that they can win, um, for me, I think that's just, you know, that's that's the direction that Surreal has to get. You've got to get into the perception of your marketplace. That's one of the things in marketing that, you know, I always worked an awful lot on was get into the perception, not what you think of your product, but what does everybody else think of your product? And if you act upon it um, in the same way that if, uh, you know, Dundee United right now, what, is, what does everybody think of the, you know, the club? What does people think of the sporting director, the manager? If the majority of fans and the perception is is negative, then someone has to make a change. You know, so it's, it's the same for Surveyor. It's just the same principle rolled, rolled out across anything. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think if you look at what they've done, they have tried to react um, and introduce the ETH payments to go back to All-Star. Um, but it is, in my view, you know, well, let's take the limited ones. I think for limited All-Star, you're getting 300 places are getting paid ETH now. Uh, in the top 300, which I think is great. It does, it will enhance a bit of liquidity there. Um, but it is pro- it is still going to be a lot of the top players that are going to be achieving that that threshold or that payment. Um, the same with Rare. I think there's 100 um, in Rare. So again, it's the top 100, which is going to be your top 100 players. It's going to be, you know, a lot of the, the top end guys are going to be getting these. It's not really filtering down the ecosystem as such. Now, no. you could argue um, when these guys win that, yes, they could go to the market and buy, you know, Joe Average's players or Joe Low Income's players. I don't know which way you want to put it, but it would, it does give uh, it does give that opportunity for them to do that. But how many will then just go to the auctions and spend that money there or will go and buy a higher value player off of, you know, someone else? So it, is it really going to filter down? Um, I don't think so. Um, I don't think trickle-down economics is something that's particularly effective, um, in, in my opinion. Um, but I think it's a start. It's obviously something they're looking at and they're trying to build on. Um, so let's let's see where, you know what other improvements they do make over the, over the coming weeks, Russ. So um, with regards to the competitions, um, obviously this weekend I think was a washout almost entirely. Uh, for the pair of us, I got the I got the threshold rust from the uh, the limited cards. I got a uh, two hundred and fifty two point four four. I'm getting my four quid happy days. That's a result. Wow. Um, but when you look at a gallery that's sitting about you know a couple of grand, it's it's not very much of a return. But hey ho, we I still you know still got something coming back out of it. Not to be sniffed at. It'll help me pick up a couple of. Uh, a couple of J League players are probably starting to look at the Brazilian league now, so it does give me the option to go and do things like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I think uh, I think you had a washout, unfortunately, as well. Yeah, I um, I had the um, unique <laughs> this year, certainly twenty twenty three. I had the unique scenario of a midweek um, double threshold um, just the week past there, so the weekend was quite poor. To be fair, it was I was hit with um, I was hit with two or three DNPs. Um, yeah. One one of which I knew about and forgot to change. So that's my own stupid fault. Simple as that. And then there was the DNPs for, well, I think we mentioned them before coming on the pod, but Aaron Moy, who's been in really good form for Celtic, uh, DNP there. And of course, I had him in a strong team. And everybody else around him did well. But of course, with missing one player and even sort of 30, 40 points, it just took me out of the cards. And then Joe Newell of Hibs, um, who's been an absolute stalwart and has sat in the top five Scottish um, Premier midfielders all season and still sits there. And I knew, I heard on Sports Sound the week before that he looked to have maybe picked up a wee bit of a knock, but he actually continued playing for 11 minutes after that. So that was seven, it was 78 minutes, I think. And I think he came off like just, just before full time. Um, he was substituted, but it, it was more to do with, in my eyes, it was more to do with tiredness rather than actually the knock, otherwise he would have come off 10 minutes ago when the knock actually happened, I would have thought. Anyway, he did not play. Um, I didn't see anything at all in the presser. Lee Johnson did a, a press and it was actually more focused on Kevin Nisbet, um, who was going to be available. 
by the looks of things, and a couple of the other sort of longer-term injuries, i.e. Rocky and, and things, and also the new signing Mikey Devlin at Hibs that came up from Fleetwood. Um, but there was nothing about Newell on the, on the press conference, and of course, as you can imagine, I put him in my own teams, I put him on the selections um, online for play sharper and things, as, as I would, because I had no reason to believe he wouldn't play, and lo and behold, he didn't. So, Fantastic. He was in my gaffer's team as well, so I was not particularly popular with Paul. Uh, when I was like, yeah, yeah, Joe Newell, he's a definite, when he's asking me opinions, and I'm like, yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. definitely. But yeah, so I obviously I think we both had a lot of kind of DMs or queries about it, um, and it wasn't until um, Hibs actually put their team news out after the lineup to say that, the, you know, he was out injured. Um, and as I read the same, you know, Edinburgh news and things like that with... Uh, Lee Johnson talking, and there was zero mention of it. So it was a very big surprise that one. But yeah, so there was a, there was a few DMPs there. Obviously, I had I had my first foray back into Japan, which was really fun. Um, with the the Tokyo team, I had three players who did really really well. I got uh, an assist from uh, my striker midfielder did really well, and I think it was like fifty odd points. Goalkeeper clean sheet, all good. I had a DMP. Uh, which we always know is a danger in Japan. Um, but it, again, it was one, there was nothing. And, you know, even player Sharper had him down as 90% start. But it's just one of these things, eh? I mean, they, they, they don't really release, in, you know, injury news ahead of time. It's only ever after the after the matter. Um, so, yeah, and one of my players got injured during the game. So I kind of, I was only about 50 points away from getting a card there. So had the DMP played, had the other guy who was my captain not got injured. Could it have been different? Maybe. But, you know, I could have been born a girl. So, never mind, Russ. Uh, you know the, the other thing I was about to say is that, you know, when, when not take, taking away just completely away even from the guys that do lineups and stuff, but just from football, from a, purely from a tactical perspective, you know what? If a player's obviously been carried off or stretched off the game before, you know, game before. So when Craig Gordon got injured at Tannadice, you knew he was going to be out and you knew he wasn't going to be in the goal. But bear in mind, when two football teams are playing the next weekend, generally, they're trying to outwit and outsmart each other and win a game of football. And to do that, obviously, you're needing good performances from your players. And managers are going to look at tactics, but they're also not going to give away. You know, so, for example, Joe Newell, um, you know, the opposition manager is going to be planning around possibly Joe Newell playing. And that will be at some point in the sort of tactical discussion um, ahead of match day. So, you know, you look at that, okay, who are the danger men for the opposition? How do they play? Where does he like to sit back? You know, he likes to go forward. You look and you discuss that, but you base it on who you expect to be playing yeah. as an opposition manager. So as the manager of the player that you know is injured, but no one else knows is fully injured other than the people at your club that are at training, you're not going to give that information away freely if you don't have to. So, you know, that's one of the things I always like to try and bear in mind because it's, you know, I'm using most of these cards. So when I'm doing my lineups on PlaySharp, but it's costing me, it's going to cost me. So if I'm putting them in, at, you know, 70, 80, 90%, the chances are they'll be in one of my 13 teams. So, yeah, yeah. yeah you, know, you do have to kind of, we don't sit with the manager and pick the teams amazingly. No, we don't, we don't. But I like, on the same token there, just as a, as an aside, with the MLS coming back this weekend, American sports do disclose their injuries. They do, um, yeah. Like the NFL, for example, even, even during the game, if a player goes to the sideline with a potential injury, they have to report that. Um, saying, you know, they'll be questionable to return, they're likely to return, what have you. Um, and they've got their injury reports they have to put out, and it's the same in the MLS. Um, I used to have the link, and I'll have to see if I can still find it to the to the uh, MLS uh, reports that get sent to the commentary teams. Um, they were available in like a, a Dropbox type thing you were able to, to log in and look at. And I would get them for every team, and it actually goes through the stat packs that a you know a commentator would be looking at, looking at a player and saying, right, okay, Lewis Morgan, formerly a St Mirren, he scored X amount of goals for St Mirren and played for Celtic and blah blah blah. You know the, yeah. all these kind of details that they could just use as facts, but the uh, they do have uh, an obligation there. To yeah, it's on MLS Soccer, MLSsoccer.com under the news oh. section. I'm actually on it just now because I, yeah. I actually used it. Only because I started picking up a limited MLS team last yeah. week, which well, was one of the things that stated that I could do apart out with the Scottish challenge was that well, I'll probably still put in the MLS team, and that's what I've done. Yeah. 
And I think that that's one of the things if guys can go and look for these kind of resources, you should, in theory, be able to reduce your DNP ratio. 100%. Um, you know, and, and I mean, you can never guarantee you don't know what happens on game day. You also don't know who's going to be in the selection. But if you know a guy definitely has a knee injury and he's he's un, you know he's questionable for that week, you can leave him out and put somebody else in. You know, so um, yeah, the, it's going to be quite good from that aspect. So I think we've covered off quite a lot of surreal topics there, Russ. Um, will we um, just finish off with a little bit of Scottish news, maybe? Um, obviously, there's been we're heading towards the split quite rapidly in the Scottish League after 33 games. All the teams, uh, you know, the, the top six and the bottom six split. We are in a situation where um, I mean, obviously, it's quite clear it's Celtic and Rangers that are head and shoulders above the rest at the top of the league. Um, we'll have seen a wee bit of movement at the bottom of the table, Russ, as you'll be well aware of, um, in that Motherwell picked up a couple of good wins after sacking their manager. Um, yeah. They picked up, they'd only picked up one win at home all season, I believe, and they've had two home games and picked up six points. Um, so they've managed to bounce themselves from being tied at the bottom with United to ninth place and being six points clear of bottom. So um, there hasn't been a wee bit of a rebound there. But speaking of rebounds and such like, Russ, obviously mm-hmm. I shared that and took great glee in it. And one thing you've definitely not taken great glee in was the uh, the fiasco that was Mark Birigiti at the weekend. And it's been on the BBC. It's one of these ones that's gone viral. Um, Stevie May came through, tackled him, scored. Um, he stayed down in a heap. Now, um, there's speculation that it's a shoulder injury. I would say it was uh, broken pride, perhaps. Um, because that was a, uh, you know, God, a bit of a, as we would say up here, Russ, a mentor. Um, uh, what were your thoughts on your your goalkeeper's heroics? Personally, I thought hilarious. Uh, yeah, the, the absolute opposite. Um, yeah, club's not in a great place at the moment. Um, there's been lots of sort of becoming stronger and stronger protests. Obviously, just that the the way the club's been run, there's an awful lot of negativity towards the sporting director of the club, who obviously. Um, overseen a transfer window where um, we received obviously the one loan player coming in and had quite a few departures, including many loans, but also a couple of senior players depart. We definitely didn't exit the, uh, I mentioned this previously, but we didn't exit the window any stronger. We have since basically just, we've just been beaten every game since. Um, I think that's four or five defeats in a row now. We exited the Scottish Cup. The owners from America were over at the weekend there, and it was a Legends Day, so it was to commemorate the the 1983 uh, Dundee United title-winning side, which obviously a lot of iconic players from sort of yesteryear of Scottish football, um, and obviously along with Aberdeen, we were the last two teams to have won the Scottish title out with the old firm. So it was really, really disappointed to um, not see a team that was completely up for it. And don't get me wrong, the, the statistics, if you look at the statistics, apart from the, the main one being i.e. the scoreline, Dundee United did have quite a lot of the possession. We had quite a lot of shots. But yeah, we're a, we're a team that's really, really struggling. Um, I genuinely believe we will not go down if, <laughs> if, <laughs> the manager departs and there are changes made. If the manager remains in place, even for another three or four weeks, we're going to be in even more than serious trouble. But if there's a change made, and I would think that this Saturday is the curtain call because we've got Ross County, which is one of the other teams that are at the bottom, um, and we are um, away from home. So we really, it's it's, it's not even a six-pointer. It's almost basically a case of, one of the three of you would think Kilmarnock, Ross County and Dundee United will go down and the other one will be in the playoff. And this almost feels like we've got to win this to, to realistically be even a chance with a playoff. So, yeah, it's um, doom and gloom at Tannadice um, at the moment for me and my beloved club. However, I guess even for your club coming up, uh, a 1-0 away defeat to Morton wasn't probably what you were wanting to see. No, it wasn't. But on the same token, the other teams all lost too, or drew. So we lost no ground. We're still, if we win, we're game in hand. We're still top of the league. So um, it's it's not doom and gloom here. Um, I'm quite, you know, still quite content. It's not the easiest of places to go. So um, yeah, we'll we'll see how it rolls out over the next uh, 
next few weeks we've got our game in hand next midweek um i'm unfortunately overseas so i won't actually be here for it but uh yeah we'll see how it rolls but um if you were to be given a choice, Russ, of Mark Birigiti in the goal or the ever infamous Schenk, who would you choose? I'd still because, choose Birigiti. Would you, though? Because oh, yeah. uh, he's been a calamity all season. And he's, had a, he's had a few good games, though. That would be my... And I'm not going to defend so, him in any, in any so, way for keeping him. But. Having, having, a, having a few good games and having 20 bad ones. Um, is 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 no? I, I do not understand why a the change was made from uh, Ericsson, who'd been having more good games than bad. I would have said, and yes, he was, was he was in the goal for the nine nil, I think, but nonetheless, yes. he was left in a pretty shitty situation. Um, why they let him go out on loan and kept what has been a bomb scare for the vast majority of the season. There was a compilation that actually a United fan had put up of all his calamities since he signed, getting chipped inside his own six-yard box, um, tipping the ball up in the air and into his own goal, um, jumping into his own goal against Celtic the other week. Um, and, then, and then this one, it's it's almost as if he's never played in the goal before, Russ. It's like, it's like the... Uh, it's like the kid you would always stick in the goal at five-a-sides or something at school. You know, it's it's... It's it's not a good situation, and I mean, obviously, I spoke last season about our, the Dundee goalie at the time, Ian Lawler, for for the same sort of thing. When you see a goalkeeper have calamity after calamity, confidence is in the ground. It's so oh, far yeah. in the ground. It's and... probably a blessing that he's he's got this injury because, yeah. like you say, he has made a quite a few. He, he had a run of about two or three games. I actually even because I bought him as well. And, I bought yeah, him yeah, um, and then. He had that run and was actually, oh, look, his confidence is up. But to be fighting a relegation battle with the goalkeeper that's making high-profile errors, it's just, it just can't be done. Yeah. I was hoping in my heart of hearts that Carl uh, Johan Eriksson's loan was available to be recalled, but it appears it's not. I've looked at a couple of sources and it doesn't look like he can be recalled. I know that Dungeon United were looking at an emergency goalkeeper. Um, again, I'm not sure if that's actually possible. Um, yeah, it's not a great situation. There have also been a few um, other departures and arrivals within Scottish football. I'm not sure if you're aware of them, but I've got a list of four or five that have got cards within the game. Let's bash through them. Um, so Callum Butcher, who was previously at Dungeon United and had been a Red Cross for the best part of the last, I think, 12 months or whatever, has returned to Motherwell. He's actually been playing. He's started, I think, the last three matches. He's been playing at the back. So his card has utility again. He's made all the difference for Motherwell. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, Callum. Well, the one thing about Butcher is he he's a battler and he's a grafter. And don't get me wrong, you'll get yellow cards. And I, I know as a as an ex um, an ex Arab, an ex Dundee United man, um, he won't find much love and favour in your heart. But I, I know that you will know that they'll become a, a more difficult team. Um, to, to, to beat because he's just one of these guys you just you know you're in for a battle of a game against him um, Callum Waters at Kilmarnock has went out to Morton Philip Kankar um, there's cards for him in the game he was at Livingston he has went out to Newcastle Jets and that is a permanent transfer so um, obviously that's gone he's gone back to the A-League um, there was the two departures from Celtic so Idiguchi who's went to Avispa and Jack Kamakis eventually completed that move to Atlanta United. Um, seeing his card, actually, he's one of the, the rare surreal cards that has increased quite significantly in price. So if you were holding him and your gallery was falling um, and you've still got him, then hopefully your gallery's balancing out nicely. Um, Konovalov has left Livingston and went to FC Tobol, but I believe he will have utility in European football. Yeah, um, he's, he's, he's left. There was another couple. Um, Esmeal Gonçalves has joined Wraith Rovers on loan from Livingston, and Dylan Reed left St Mirren for Crystal Palace. Um, just I think it was a couple of days ago, about two or three days ago. So he will join there probably their um, development squad. Um, so I wouldn't expect to get any utility out of his card. He does have a card in the game, so not not a lot, but obviously five or six just kind of post deadline that were 
just needing paperwork and certain rules and regulations around them, but they have actually all gone. Fab, fab. One striker that you won't be getting into Dundee United, Russ, was Chris Maguire. Um, he has signed for Air United. Wow. So he signed up for Air United on loan. And uh, that was when we were discussing who, what free agents United could potentially look at maybe as a, a striker to get in the door. And yeah, that was one of them that you'd mentioned. And no, he's off to uh, title rivals for Dundee, uh, Air United. So yeah, that's uh, an interesting one there. He has an Thankfully average we of... Didn't la- we didn't land Mr Lafferty that you no, thought... Well, that's, that's a shame, to be honest. That is a shame. Um, he would be such a good fit with the club. But nonetheless, um, I think that's been a, a very productive episode, guys. I'll, you know, there's a fair bit of doom and gloom in there, but, you know, I say... Reality. Yeah, reality. You know, ride the waves. It's part of the game. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll all come good in the end. Um, but with that, guys, take care. We will speak to you all again next week. <laughs>